Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Downgrade in, in these companies, oftentimes the junk bond status, is what you would call a, a corporate debt bomb. That's a not a very fancy term. But what it means is that right now, you know, if you look at who owns these this corporate debt, you know, oftentimes it's not just people like you and I going out and buying corporate bonds. No, a lot of times it's various funds, whether it's like an ETF or a mutual fund or pension fund, hedge fund, whatever. They own this debt. And there's a certain amount of attractiveness of this debt, especially when you consider that the U.S. 10-year treasury is yielding like, what, 2%, maybe a little more than that. Maybe I haven't checked in a little while. Less than that, if I remember correctly. You're not even breaking even when you consider inflation. And so all of a sudden, a corporate bond that yields 5%, 6%, 7%, looks pretty attractive. Now, of course, with that yield comes risk. <laughs> But it looks pretty attractive. And so you have a ton of money that goes into these ETFs, into these funds, whatnot. And there's only a certain amount of money that is out there that that has the appetite for junk bonds, right? Because a lot, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of money out there, hundreds of billions or trillions that want junk bonds. But then there's a lot that would much rather prefer uh, high-grade corporate credit. The companies that are... In, in very good financial position and very likely to pay off their debts, very low default risk, right? Those are, you know, for investors that are not as concerned about yield and, and want a little bit more safety. And so what that means, you know, if we can use an analogy or, or, or not an analogy, but just throw some random numbers out there. Let's say right now there's an appetite of $1 trillion for, uh, for corporate junk bonds for for pretty low-grade corporate debt. And I don't know exactly how much it is. It's probably much more than that. But let's say it's $1 trillion currently in those funds. What happens when all of a sudden you have, let's say, half a trillion dollars worth of companies become downgraded, all of their debt becomes downgraded, and is now added to that category? Well, before you had an appetite that roughly matched the uh, the amount that was in the system. I mean, that's kind of how markets are working, right? They, they kind of determine a price and a yield that, that uh, you know, if, if there was a little bit more debt than there was appetite, then the prices would go down and whatnot. But if all of a sudden you have a huge, you know, to use a medical term, bolus of junk bonds entering the market, well, somehow the market has to satisfy, and I shouldn't say enter the market, but all of a sudden enter that lower tier of investments being shifted from on the brink of junk bond status to junk bond status. All of a sudden, you need to meet that that amount of supply. The demand needs to meet that supply or else there's massive liquidity problems, which is a real risk. 
And ultimately, I think somebody's probably going to buy it. And I don't think at first, at least, it's going to be the Fed. You know, maybe that will come eventually. But no, I don't think it'll be the Fed at first. But what's going to happen is if, to, to use those numbers again, all of a sudden we have an extra $500 billion and the demand just isn't there, well, the market's going to work it out. And how do markets work it out when there's a massive excess in supply? Prices go down. Yields go up. And this could be a crisis for a lot of these corporations. If they are heavily indebted and they're used to rolling over their debt at a certain percentage, at a certain uh, interest rate, and all of a sudden they're going to have to pay a full 3 or 4% higher than what they're currently paying, I mean, that's sort of a deal breaker. That's, that's game over. And it only gets worse from there because as you see more companies uh, you know, default, the amount of fear with these junk bonds and whatnot are, are going to increase. And ultimately, I mean, the real losers in this is the people that own the debt. Oftentimes, retirees, soon to be retirees, investors like you and I, whatever. I don't own any, obviously, but, but many of you guys may, without knowing it, or may have exposure to it through your various retirement funds or pension funds, whatever. But this is a serious problem. Right, And I could go much, much further into this about why a stock market decline would be a bad, bad thing beyond just saying that, hey, some people lost some money in the stock market. But I mean, I think you have a lot of it right there. You have a significant decline in tax returns. You have a significant drop in GDP growth. But you also have these liquidity problems and these problems with mechanics of the, the junk bond markets that are, I think, going to create some serious problems in the U.S. financial system. And I mean, how many times have I said it when I bring up topics like this, that yes, there's always that buyer of last resort, the Fed, and they could buy corporate debt. The U.S. government could buy corporate debt. They could bail out these companies, sure, you know, with, of course, the backing of the Federal Reserve. But these problems are going to stack up, you know, just like they did in 2008, 2009, when you had company bailouts, you had the bank bailouts, you had the bailout of, of consumers, you had the stimulus program, cash for clunkers, uh, you know, throw in a war or two at the time, Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah, it, it adds up. But I think this next time around, it's going to go much, be, much further beyond that. You're going to have bailouts of corporations, probably banks. But you're also going to have things like uh, pension bailouts, state and city bailouts, and, and ultimately, a QE for the masses, a bailout of a massive amount of the U.S. population. And at that point, it becomes a serious problem. I mean, let's be honest. We've seen, we've seen the Fed inject a large amount of money into I mean, they're doing it right now, $60 billion a month. And inflation isn't going crazy, right? Over $300 billion over the next six months. But there's, only, there's, there's sort of a tipping point there. Right to use the the classic analogy of of an addict, the the U.S. economy is is addicted to injections of liquidity and credit, oftentimes through the Fed. But at some point, and 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 we won't know exactly what that point is, but at some point, an overdose is going to occur. They're they're, they're going to over inject. They're over, they're going to overdose on this uh, easy credit easy money. And it's going to create inflation. I mean, I think that's going to be 
the, the death of the dollar, death of the U.S. economy, is going to be too much inflation ultimately sparked by the Federal Reserve. As always, thank you, every one of you from the bottom of my heart for listening to today's podcast, and God bless. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So as we head towards the end of this so-called economic expansion into a likely recession sometime in, in 2020, of course, that's sort of my projection, I want to talk about the importance of the stock market to the continued growth of the U.S. economy. I mean, of course, some have, have opined that the stock market today is the U.S. economy. And and I don't think that that's actually what they're saying. Obviously, the U.S. economy is, is very diverse and huge, and it, it'd be ridiculous to say that it's that the stock market is the U.S. economy. However, I think more so what they're getting at, and, and what I would agree with, is that the stock market has become an indispensable part of the U.S. economy. More specifically, the stock market going up has become an indispensable part of the U.S. economy. Because when we do ultimately hit a, a bear market in stocks, something that's, you know, 20 plus percent loss from, from the highs, and it's something that's drawn out beyond just like a quarter, uh, like we saw in, in quarter four of, of 2018, but something that's a little bit more drawn out than that, all of a sudden there are a ton of, of nasty side effects from that, other than just saying that, well, now there's a lot of investors or soon-to-be retirees or retirees that, that have lost a bit on their portfolio. No, it gets much, much worse than that. And first of all, there's the idea of the economy, actual economic growth. When the stock market is up, we've seen in the last couple of years that that oftentimes translates to stronger GDP growth. More specifically, usually stronger consumption. I guess I don't know the numbers for something like uh, increases in in uh, corporate or company spending money and whatnot. But as far as consumers, yeah, when the stock market is up, unsurprisingly, uh, consumers spend more. And it's not always that they're cashing out of those stocks. Maybe that, that's the case in, sometimes that they're cashing out of the stocks. More often than not, I think it's more so that, hey, my portfolio, my 401k, whatever, is up 10%, 15% a year to date or whatever the number might be. And they feel more comfortable spending more of their other savings, going deeper into debt, whatever the case may be. It boosts consumption because consumers feel better, even though that those types of gains can uh, be very short-lived. We've seen that many times in the past. And that's sort of the, the basics of it. The higher stock market boosts consumption. But there's so much more to it. First of all, there's the, the government side of things. Higher stock prices, higher asset prices in general, generally equal larger amounts of capital gains tax. 
and that helps out the U.S. government. <laughs> That's income, right? And so if the stock market is up 10%, 20%, whatever, on, on a year-over-year basis or, or, or maybe in a two-year time span, whatever, generally what that translates to is higher taxes on individuals. And that means less debt for the U.S. government, more spending projects, right? That's all sort of a, a net positive for the U.S. government and to some extent the U.S. economy if they're actually going to spend that money. I, you know, the U.S. government seems to be sort of setting their ways in terms of how much they're going to spend regardless of what their revenue is. But they'll at least have to issue fewer bonds. But that's kind of the second side effect of, of a drop in the stock market is that a bear market, you know, it could get so bad that capital gains taxes uh, would would significantly drop. I mean, capital gains taxes, those extend beyond just stocks, obviously. Those are, you know, any sort of investment asset that, that appreciates in value and, and, and you, you know, you pay a tax on that when you ultimately sell it. But even if there are other assets that go up in, in some sort of bull or sorry, a bear market, whether it's maybe bonds or, you know, other types of investments beyond just kind of the classic strategies of bonds and stocks and real estate, whatever. But, but I'm talking things like people that profit off of, of options or, or, um, you know, some tor- some sort of a you know, short term interest yielding asset or something like that. Even if they're making gains off of that, they can still register massive losses in stocks, which would mean that their tax obligations would be much lower or zero, right? And so why does that matter beyond just saying that the U.S. government is going to get less tax revenue and have to, to increase their, their, uh, their bond issuance? Well, that bond issuance has become a huge problem lately. Right? We even had the Fed right now going out and buying $60 billion worth of treasury bills basically bonds a month in order to to help satisfy the the funding requirements for the US government those bonds require dollars to be bought with it makes sense i mean it's US bonds US dollars have to to buy them but what that means is that there's fewer dollars to go around in the broader financial system it's a drain on liquidity which is not good i mean this is a system that that thrives on an ever-increasing amount of liquidity and credit, debt, basically. And so that's a problem right there. But you add on to that slower economic growth um, in general, and, and you start to see things like unemployment rise, you see companies go under, and all of a sudden it's no longer just tax receipts for these capital gains that the government is taking a hit on, but also things like income tax, payroll tax, Right, some of those larger portions of uh, the U.S. government's revenue, but by no means does it stop there. It goes much, much deeper than that. Eventually, what is what will happen in the next uh, bear market in, in stocks is that a lot of these companies will become very financially distressed. See, over the last several years, a huge component of the rise in stock valuations has been companies buying back their own stocks, oftentimes on credit. 
you know, the corporations, the, the, the CEOs, the, the board members, whatnot, they decide that they're going to essentially borrow money, oftentimes at pretty low interest rates, considering where we're at with interest rates, but borrow money to buy back their own stock, thus driving up their own stock price. This has been extremely common. We're talking hundreds of billions of dollars a year that companies either uh, buy back with cash or buy back with with borrowed money. But ultimately, you know, with with the idea that the stock market can't go up indefinitely, they're sort of also living on borrowed time. Because eventually what's going to happen is that these corporations are going to run into funding difficulties. You'll see, I think, a very large portion of these companies that are on the brink of what you'd call junk bond status. They pushed over that edge as rating agencies downgrade them. And so that has that that sort of reinforces, that sort of makes the next bear market even worse because now these corporations are going to have a harder time borrowing that money at the interest rates that they had been. Plus, if they already have a pile of debt, they're going to have a harder time rolling it over. If they want to, it's going to be at a lower interest rate. But you tack on to that potential lack of dollars in the system and a ton of treasuries in the system, which are you know naturally going to compete with corporate bonds to some extent, and they're going to have an even harder time finding funding. But it gets even worse than that. You know, as profits decline, as the economic cycle turns towards recession, as consumption decreases, and as the stock prices of these various companies, and therefore their market cap decreases, and their, their ability to, to raise more capital decreases, what we see as, a, as an added side effect of this massive 